Okay. Well, I'm really blessed that y'all came back. I know that Sunday's message was a little bit, uh, you know, a, lot, a little bit uh, solid, as we all, you know, God wants, God all wants us to know that we're full of demons. No, he doesn't want us to know that we're full of demons. I think what the objective is, is we're discussing this kind of difficult part, if you will, allow me to be thorough in an understanding of uh, how we have to look at the scriptures where we have kind of come along this way, you know, with movies and stuff like that, or even, oh gosh, it goes all the way back into the beginning of the Christianity where this concept of being, you know, oppressed or being uh, controlled or influenced by a devil is sort of like this thing that nobody wants that stigma attached to them. And I believe that the, the, the way that we are going to get victory over this and certainly be able to seize hold of so many scriptures in the Bible, particularly when Jesus was speaking, which, are, you know, hallelujah, those are just as important. The red letters are just as awesome as the black letters, but maybe even more so awesome. How many of you say, you know what, mm, I'm not quite sure how I feel doctrinally about that, but I love the red letters. I love the clarity of what Jesus is talking about. And so when we are listening to a lot of the things that he says, when we are dealing with this one singular concept, it seems to be, as you could probably feel a little bit of my intrepidation on Sunday, trying to deliver it, trying to be positive about what, this, what these scriptures are talking about. But could you all sense on Sunday that, you know, wow, you are really just, holy Toledo, I can't believe Pastor Ian's talking about this. When the concept is a central concept of the New Testament, understanding that our physical, in, in our bodies, we are, we are three-part beings. We're a spirit. How many of you have, know, have, have done this rhyme with me? We, we are a spirit. No, no. We are a spirit. We have a soul, and we live in a body. How many of you ever heard, heard that one before? And so we are three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Okay? What happens to us is in this realm right here, in the soul realm, this is where there, are, there is spiritual beings that we are in contact with in this realm. When, Je when Adam and Eve were talking to the serpent, they weren't technically talking to a snake. That was an interaction that was happening just like when you are listening to the Lord. You're not necessarily, I mean, every now and again, so I think people here, I've never heard the Lord audibly. One time I thought maybe he was yelling so loud at me that it sounded audible. <laughs> but I don't know that I've ever heard God speak to me audibly. I, he, I hear him loudly, but I hear him in my soul. How many of you say, yeah, I think that's how it goes. Because when I'm interacting in, in my being, I'm interacting in the soul realm. Well, the problem is, is that there's also other, there's be, spiritual beings here, good and bad. And we're hearing, the, at first, we're, I mean, we're hearing these things all the time. But because the kingdom of darkness is intrusive, they're not polite. They don't whisper. They yell and scream. And they, uh, they seize moments of injury and woundedness in order to, to, to in, in inject negative thoughts because they're desperately trying to get their concepts into the inside of us. And because this is such a central theme, and yet in the New Testament, we all kind of don't want to talk about that. We don't, you know, it's kind of like we don't want to talk about the fact that we all get zits. You know, that's such a, oh, that's such a rude thing. Yeah, but so we all do. 
right? It's not that we don't, uh, and we have to come to the place in Christianity where we can be big boys and big girls about discussing this concept without it being something like Rosemary's Baby, where, you know, you got a devil, you know, it's like, oh, no. But when, the, when we deal with these things in the, in the New Testament, although we are dealing with people who were very much struggling and burdened down because of those things, and secondarily, because in the, in the Old Testament Jewish faith, uh, I shouldn't say it like that, in the Jewish religion, it had come to the place where everybody that had a sickness or had a crick in their shoulder or had a wart on their nose or whatever it was, they have a devil. And because they have a devil, they're ostracized from society. And so this age-old problem with our humanity trying to understand how all this works, we are getting convinced that the absolute worst thing that can be told to us is that we're being influenced by the kingdom of darkness. When this is happening all the time, every one of us, we wake up in the morning, are the kingdom of darkness, as long as we are on this planet, we are all there trying to deceive us all the time. And it doesn't mean that you have a devil in the way the movies would present it. It is just that we have to realize that as we start to buy into their suggestions, buy into their concepts, they slowly but surely gain control over the decisions of our lives. If you take a look at that word in, in Acts chapter 10 there where it says Jesus, was, uh, Jesus came to heal those who were oppressed of the devil. That word oppressed is the word that says, that the two-part word, katadynasties, which means to go against the king. Dynasties, we kind of recognize that word a little bit, dynasty, right? Or that word is, you would refer to a person, if he was King Michael, he would be dynasties Michael. That's how they would say it. So it's a clear word when Jesus is saying it, katadynasties means that I have coming against the king. And so it's recognizing then that the demonic activity in our lives is trying to steal or come against our kingship. The authority that God has given us over our own lives and over our world with the intention that we would use that authority to inject the kingdom of heaven into our world. Instead, they want to say, well, that's fine. If you've been given permission to paint the canvas of your own world, then here's my objective. I am going to fill you, as the devil would say, I'm going to fill you with all kinds of deception so that what you fill your world with doesn't look like the kingdom of heaven, look like the kingdom of darkness. Because we are the ones that have the authority. They recognize that we're the ones that have the authority. They've watched us for 6,000 years. And so their objective is to get those ideas, whisper, 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 Whisper starting when you were, you know, uh, uh, popped out of your mommy, the whispering starts. And the key to the New Testament is to understand this is what is going on on the inside of every one of us. We don't have to, as long as we pretend that this is not happening or that now that I'm saved, I don't listen to that. You know, the, you know the, the, the scripture that says the stranger's voice I don't hear. I hear the, that's a declaration that we make. That when I know, like if Tina calls me up on the phone, I could, you know, two nights ago it's 1.30 in the morning and she finally gets, you know, Wi-Fi and she calls me, there was no doubt in my mind who was talking to me on the phone. Not just the fact that somebody would call me at 1.30 in the morning, but 
that I could recognize her voice. Instantly, I knew what her voice sounded like. That's what that scripture is saying. It's not that now that I am saved, I don't ever have any interaction with the kingdom of darkness whatsoever. As long as we pretend or as long as the kingdom of darkness has convinced us that we don't hear their voice, everything I'm hearing is coming from the kingdom of heaven because I'm gloriously saved now and they can't talk to me anymore. Isn't that a wonderful thing, wouldn't you say, you know? That's a deception too. And we have, to, we have to come up to the place where we recognize, okay, wait a minute. This is something that is going on in my life all the time. So I need to make sure that if this is going on in my life all the time, that I am constantly being careful with my thoughts and my emotions. I remember Pastor Tina. I'll tell a little story on Pastor Tina because it's a very vivid story. She went through this season in her life. She's not a jealous person. But she went through this season in her life where she was, she was just feeling jealous all the time. It was like, it was like four months. And it was driving her bananas because she just does, that's just not something she struggles with. And the Lord began to show her that what she was actually picking up was the demonic activity that was around her. She wasn't even jealous. And she didn't have anything to be jealous of. She said, I don't even know what I'm jealous about. I just feel jealous. You see, we can pick up emotions we can pick up thoughts coming from that realm. And then we say, oh, I must be jealous. No, you're not. Even if you are, here's what you say. No, I'm not. And certainly deal with it as we're going to talk about as we go a little bit further into this about how the kingdom of darkness roots in these things in our lives. But if we never realize that thoughts, negative thoughts, rebellious thoughts, angry thoughts, jealous thoughts, covetous thoughts, all of those thoughts... They didn't start with us. We may have adopted them and said, okay, that's what I am. And we go you know, too far down that road where we spend too much time meditating, thinking about, talking about those things. Then they do become ours, but they didn't start out being ours. This is where we have to be careful that in that soul realm where all the battle actually happens, right? Remember Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right, so you may prove what is the good and perfect acceptable will of God for your life. The ability to go in and do the will of God for your life means that I must be able to be a mature Christian when it comes to understanding this is going on in the soul realm all the time. The other thing to realize is that this is a, dimension, a decreasing dimensional relationship. Wow, doesn't that sound crazy? The spirit realm is a four-dimensional realm. What does that mean? It means that it, ha it has time, but it has time with no end. God's dimension is the five-dimensional realm. It has no beginning and no end. So time goes all the way this way. Time goes all the way that way. In the four-dimensional realm of the spirit, it is one dimension down from that. It had the beginning, but it has no end. And then the soul realm is one dimension down from that, which is the three... How, how am I doing this? No. Am I right? No, the body is three dimensions. Hmm. I got lost in my own logic here. The soul is the four-dimensional realm. No, I've lost it. I'll have, to, I'll have to get my notes and go back. Here's what the important thing is. <laughs> so I told you that to tell you this. When you go down a dimension, you are creating the shadow of the dimension before. Let me show you what I mean by that. 
when you, if you take a look at this shadow of my hand, that is a two-dimensional shadow. It just has length and width. But it is a shadow of a three-dimensional object, right? right? Yeah. If I had a string here and I put the string up against the, the light then and created a shadow off that string, it would be, it would even though it's a two-dimensional string, it's got length, it would create a shadow would just be a point, a one-dimensional object, okay? The important thing about that is when we are trying to get the kingdom of heaven uh, expressed in our lives, the key to that is to get the kingdom of heaven expressed in our soul first. And then what happens is the shadow of that kingdom of heaven appears in our natural world. That's why the exact same opposite thing happens when, if you remember the woman who was bowed over some 18 years, his daughter of Abraham bowed over for 18 years, that word bowed over is a word that means to be bound in chains. So bound in chains in our soul, then what happened? Then she becomes bowed in chains in her physical body. That's what the kingdom of darkness is after. They don't really, they're not after destroying your soul, although they're super happy to do that. What they're trying to do is get this natural world destroyed. And so that your life destroys another person's life on and on and on and on and on and on. It goes until all the children of God are, are living lives that look like they're cursed. The way they do that is to fill your soul with the kingdom of darkness. And then if they fill your soul with the kingdom of darkness, they'll fill your life with the kingdom of darkness. Does he, do you see that? Yeah. So the objective then is really the battle that goes on here inside of your soul. All the activity that is going on with almost unbridled activity where the kingdom of darkness is helping you to interpret your world all the time. And so rather than seeing, you know, if I gave you a piece of paper, you know, a piece of, I saw this on the internet today, so I'll use it. A piece of paper and I told you to describe that piece of paper, what would you say about that piece of paper? He has a black dot on it. He'll have a round black dot, a little black dot, you know, a really black dot. How many of you would have said it's a really nice white piece of paper? Do you notice how we don't focus on the fact that it's mostly a white piece of paper? We all focus on the fact that there's a little black dot on it. That's what happens in our lives. And you could go give this example to a thousand people and they'll talk to you about the little black dot. They won't talk to you about the, the, whole, the rest of the white page. That's the nature of us as humans in an unregenerate... Now that I've showed you that, if I gave you a test next week, you'd all talk to me about how beautifully white that piece of paper is. <laughs> Just because you have got a clue now about how this is supposed to work. And I, if I just stop looking at the black dot on the page if, of my own life, then I'm not going to look at the one or two things that aren't going right in my life right now. I'm going to look at the, all the great things that are going on in my life and inject God into the one thing that's not going great, which is then going great also. If I learn to think that way, which is counterintuitive, not to your nature, it's counterintuitive to the ways of the kingdom of darkness. And they have had free reign in, the, in each one of our lives. First of all, not really being raised with an understanding of this. Why? Because nobody wants to go and tell you that you got a devil. And we, won't, we don't own up to that reality that every single one of us can totally relate to. 
We just have to be honest that this is just what it means to be a human on this planet, that the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light are vying for our attention all of our lives. The problem is, it's a lot, it's, it's a lot, we have the proclivity as human beings to respond more to fear because of the negative expectation of that than we do to respond to faith with the positive expectation that comes from that. And when somebody says, you know, life is going to be good, and somebody else says that you better be careful, life is going to be bad, the emotional coefficient of that life is going to be bad if you don't force it to go over here. This has more emotional content to it. We respond more to fear than we do to faith unless we learn how to respond to faith and reject anything that comes to us that has any fear component to it. And so it's kind of like the playing field is not fair, that the kingdom of darkness has an advantage because of our fallen nature. And so because when Jesus came into the earth, the devil could say as many fearful things to him as he likes. He didn't have the proclivity to go, to go fearful. He didn't respond that way because he wasn't born with the sins of a father. All of us are born with the sins of a father. We have the proclivity to go that way, the propensity to respond that way. And so they, when as soon as we pop out a mommy, they already have an advantage in the game. Do you see that? That's what, the, that's what the glory of the New Testament is, is that we've now, Jesus, when he came here, he wanted to show us, okay, guys, this is what's going on. Pull it together. Just learn this is what's going on. As long as we know the rules of the game, can I tell you something? The game is easy to win. But if we don't know the rules of the game or if we're still responding, remember those, that list of things that I gave you when we were here on Sunday? The three objectives of the kingdom of darkness, wow, we have definitely disadvantaged the guys on the other side of the room here. There, can you see that, Alex? Just shut down that, that section. The three, thix, th- three things that the, that the kingdom of darkness is trying to do is, one, they're trying to get us to celebrate self or celebrate the creature. So anything that goes good in our lives, we think it goes good because of the me factor. I'm good, I'm educated, I'm smart, I'm strong, I'm whatever, I'm, 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 I'm. And then what we're doing then is because we have learned how to live life by, by developing the creature and becoming this person who can provide and protect and get respect and honor out of life, because we've said, this is my objective, I have to build this guy. Whenever I do something right, I build the creature. Now I'm thinking, wow, I really need that guy because he's starting to really do a good job. Then the second thing they want to do is they want us to be afraid of the kingdom of darkness. Right? So we've talked about that. When you fall down, the devil says, I made you fall down. He didn't make you fall down. He can't make you fall down. But he takes credit of when you did fall down. And so now he says, and if you, and if you don't be wise, I'll make you fall down again. If you don't listen to what I'm telling you, I'll make you fall down again. I'll hurt you again. I'll hurt you again. Even though he can't hurt you. And then the third thing that he wants to, that he wants to get you to do is he wants you to get you mad at God. Right? By setting you up with unrealistic expectations and religious things, like if I beg God really, really badly, he'll give me 10 bucks. And then he doesn't give you 10 bucks. Because it doesn't work that way. Right? If you believe that you're not going to get the 10 bucks and that's why you're praying, give me the 10 bucks, then because you don't believe you're going to have the 10 bucks, you don't get the 10 bucks. God had nothing to do with it. But you see, by creating that religious way of doing things that I am trying to beg God or sacrifice my virgins or be a good person so that I can get God's favor, 
and then I am a good person, or I really am nice to Jenny, and all of a sudden Jenny's not nice to me, and I go, God, what's up with this? What's up with you? Can't I trust you, God? That's the objective. I just become disassociated with God. I get mad at him. I get in unforgiveness and resentment. Now imagine this person now, which is really most of us, if we're honest with ourselves as Christians, most of us have still found ourselves right in that mix because the objective of the kingdom of darkness is to do that to everybody. And then that person is just completely into a toil-filled, stress-filled, nervousness-filled, negative expectation of the future-filled life just because he's got us nailed like that. So turn with me over uh, to, let me just give you some notes. If you're taking notes, Luke chapter 17. How many of you know where the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is within us. Okay, what's God talking about? He's saying that it's got to be here in the soul. It is a conscious place where the kingdom of God, which is the truth of the word of God and the ways of God, operating first in the soul. Once it gets in there, it'll get into your life for sure, but the kingdom of God starts off by being within us. Look at, in Acts chapter 10, 38, some of the things I've already covered these things, right? Jesus came, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So we see that Jesus's very specific job was to to help those or deliver those or heal those or whatever that were oppressed of the devil. It says in John 8, chapter 12, God, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me, not he who prays a prayer one day or he who buys a Bible one day or he who comes to victory one day. It's who follows me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of, the light of life. In Acts tw- chapter 26, uh, let's read just 16 to 18. But rise, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things will, I, will, I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom now I send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now you understand some of those words. They sound religious words, but we've talked about them. It's dealing with that thing where the purpose of the New Testament, the specific reason that people were, Jesus was sending Paul and then Paul was commissioning others were to do this very specific job of opening people's eyes. Remember when he said in Ephesians chapter one, pray this prayer, what was the prayer? Is it a salvation prayer? Jesus, you died on the cross for me. Please forgive me of my sins. No, he says that the eyes of our... I'm not saying that that's not a bad prayer. I'm saying that the priority work of the kingdom of God in the earth today is that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, right? That our eyes will be opened. If I, I know that there's ice cream and broccoli, if, if I don't know that there's ice cream and broccoli, I, I have to eat the broccoli. No offense to broccoli. But if I know there's ice cream and broccoli, I'll take the ice cream, thank you. Not, you understand my metaphor there. You, you can only go so far with that metaphor. Certainly in my home, you can only go so far with that metaphor. But the key of it is, is if I understand the truth and I understand the darkness, if I, if I know that there is a choice between living by faith and living by fear, then I obviously, every human being on the planet will choose to live by faith. 
If I would, what would I like better, to live in a home filled with hate or fill in, live in a home filled with love? Hmm, I can't quite figure, no, everybody would go with a, with a home that is filled with love. If I'm trying to figure out what's the right way to live, anxious and stressed out because of a negative expectation of the future or hopeful and exuberant and joyful because of a positive expectation of the future. Hmm, can't figure that one out. I mean, you know, just give me a minute with that one. No, I get it. I would choose the right thing. This is what the, this is what the scripture's talking about. Our job is to release the truth to people, not in a way that is judgmental and critical, but just giving them the option. Do you know that there are two ways of living on the planet? One, according to the kingdom of darkness, which is stress and misery and all of those type of things, and there's a way in the kingdom of God. All we have to do is begin to engage in the battle where we are, perhaps, many of us, coming in on the North American culture where all of our world is designed around filling us with deception. Very little. I mean, I shouldn't say all. You can find lots of sites on the, on the internet where you can listen to people teaching you the word of God. But a lot of the objective and the intention of, the, of the, the world that we live in is to create a world where the principles of God are diluted so much that they really don't even mean anything anymore. That's the objective. And if we have been, uh, if we have been um, unaware of what is going on, then we have all of this stuff coming at us a, a thousand miles an hour, and we're not aware. Hey, let me just, yeah, let me do that. Let me, and it fills us up to the place that we can become, or we can continue to go down this road where the concepts or the whispers uh, become who we are. They get, grab hold of our identity. If you remember from Sunday, we were talking about the process where Jesus, remember Jesus in the wilderness? Right? What the devil did to him was tempt him. So we see that's pretty lightweight, certainly because Jesus knew how to deal with it. But the devil tempts you all the time too. And then we had the, uh, the boy, remember the boy who was throwing himself into the fire? Right? Uh, that is in, uh, if you're taking notes there, this guy is in Matthew chapter 4. But that boy, it said he was under the influence And then it grew to the next person was the damsel. Remember, she was caught in the spirit of divination. That is, she was, like that word is echo. So it's like you wear the person, the, per, the devil wears that person like a puppet. So it's kind of like more of a puppet person. So you can see that this is a gaining in control here. And then we have the woman, uh, the 18 years woman, where she was bound and then there is the, the, the madman of Gadara, where he was like a leader, or he was a regional captain or so, whatever. I don't know how they would do it. But, uh, you know, he had power. To, you know, a thou he was called legion because there was a thousand of them inside of him, or he controlled a thousand. And so you can see what's happening here as we are growing down along this line it's the same stuff that's going on here. It's just growing in influence as it continues down this road. As we talked about to the place where it literally seizes possession of the mind of the person who is being afflicted by it. The different, remember when Jesus was dealing with Gadara, he dealt with him just like he dealt with the little, the boy who couldn't, who kept throwing himself with epileptic fits. Jesus's answer to either of these was the same answer. We don't need to get scared of where, if even in our own lives, if we see ourselves lost, we have lost control. You know, like some people get frustrated, some people get angry, and some people have rage. 
right, you can see that that's just a, more of an uncontrollable thing that is happening in their life. That's not to judge somebody. It's just to show us this is what's happening slowly as these concepts of these realities become more, uh, more real to us, more of an, an, a, a, a without a doubt reality. And so if you get so frustrated, you know, I, if somebody believes that they're going to fail, then all that has to happen is a slight inconvenience in their plan. And what do they say? Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to fail. See, that, over, that emotion is just so in control of that situation. Not that the person's a bad person. No. We've got to demystify, de-demonize all of these things. We're just going to say, you know, that person is, uh, they're, they're not, they don't have as much control over that negative thought or emotion. It takes them over in no time at all. Right, you get a cell phone bill in the mail, it's more than you expected it to be, and all of a sudden you get depressed or angry. It, you didn't try to do it, but it overtakes you right away. That's because there's, these concepts are getting rooted and rooted more and more and more as inevitable or indisputable realities in your life. The more they become an indisputable reality, the more control it has over the way you think and feel. When it controls the way you think or feel, then it controls the decisions and actions that you make out of your, what would appears to be the, the will or choice that you have as a person. Do you understand? Yeah. And so our ability then of the New Testament is coming backwards where I would say, all right, so this is what's happening. I got to reverse this process and go back up here. When Jesus is talking about the renewing of your mind, he's talking about we've got to take hold of these concepts wherever we would find them, go back to the beginning, dethrone them, and come back down with the principles of the kingdom of God. Doing the same thing. Allow the temptation to be there or the suggestion. When somebody comes and shares with you a scripture that you go, oh my gosh, that's crazy, that can't be. No, allow the suggestion to be there. Be like a good Berean. Go back and prove if it be not so. Look at it and study it because that's how these things started on the bad side. Watch how they can do exactly the same thing so that we are controlled, our automatic response to the situations and issues and concepts and ideas of life are, I'm, I am now auto-programmed to respond to them just the way Jesus would respond to them because his words and his concepts are the things that I hold in my heart. Yes, All of a sudden now the kingdom of heaven is manifesting in our lives, not because we're trying to get it to manifest in our lives, but instead because it's just become on the inside of me. Once it becomes on the inside of me, it starts to come out of me in word and deed. And when it comes out of me in word and deed, it starts to manifest and change the world around me. It's not a difficult concept. It's just that we have to then, if we're going to be able to read the scriptures, and we can talk about this, you know, the, the devils as being metaphorical, if you like. It helps you to think there's not really devils, it's just concepts. Of Jesus. Well, Jesus was pretty specific, so we can stay with that. So that, and, but we have to dethrone the negativity that comes with the fact that we're being influenced or suggestions are coming to us all the time particularly because of our world. So when we're very young, we're predisposed to think a certain way. And so uh, let me just go through something that, just so that I've uh, talked about it. It was something in my notes from a while ago, and so I'll just take the time to give it to you here. Remember that curve? Does everybody remember that curve? And so this is where, this is where we pass over into the kingdom of God. This area here, we're still down in this zone here where the automatic thinking processes that we have are down and being predicted here by the deceptions of the kingdom of darkness. 
as we come into our time with the Lord, pretty much on any scriptures or in general with our lives, we can have this curve being with one revelation. We can also be on this curve when it comes to the, 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 the revelation of our whole lives, okay? And so when you're going down here to understand the processes that we are going to go through individually, when you're helping somebody else, when they come to the church or they come to decide, I'm going to really go after this myself, what do the early years look like? The, 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 one of the major issues that we face in the kingdom, uh, in, in church Christianity, North American Christianity, is people come to church and they hear something and they really like it. It's really good news to them. But the first thing that it creates in them is it creates like an unworthiness. It creates condemnation, and it creates guilt. That's why this goes down first. And so what this is all driven by is now I know what to do, but I can't do it. So knowing becomes a negative. Do you understand? And so somebody comes in here and I'm talking about the fact that, you know, you shouldn't sleep with a girl before you marry her. Then I just create condemnation in anybody in the room who's sleeping with the girl that they're not married to or sleeping with a boy they're not married to. That's what happens because they're, they now know what to do. They feel judged. I'm not judging anybody. Everybody makes these decisions on their own. I'll show you what the scripture says and do what you need to do. But they feel it right? Because they haven't really got into the process where they realize God loves me in spite of, you know, he knew I was doing this before I went to church one day and found out that, you know, but the problem was is that because we now know, but I say I can't do it, it creates all of this kind of, that's why I don't want to go to church anymore. And then if I make it by this and I start really working, I'm one of the very few, like 12% of the population who are saying, no, what, I'm going to keep pushing through this because I'm going to do it. Then I get to the place where I know and I do in my own strength. This is what happens. You become a religious person driven by judgment and self-righteousness. Because I can know and I can do. I don't want to but I do. And so as we are going along this curve, we find the 100 people come into the church. Uh, 88 of them, is that the right math? 88% of them fall away here. The other 12% go here. How do I say this kindly? Can you come up here and say this part? So 88% of the people fall away from the church with guilt and condemnation, being judged or feeling judged and all those type of things. The other 12% become self-righteous Christians. That's the problem with teaching this message. Because you, know you know who I'm speaking to? Who, now, I'm not saying it's wrong to know and do. This curve is the right curve. These two curves, they're not the right ones. You can't get tripped up by either of these two things. 
That's what the kingdom of darkness's objective has been since Christianity began. A religion, can I tell you? A religion that doesn't have this as the objective has this as the objective. It's just going to produce this death cycle in the religious people. The reason that Christianity is not a religion is because although we go through this lower section, it's necessary because we have to start dealing with it. It's easier to get on a bike and ride it to learn how to ride a bike than to learn the physics of how that works. But as we go along there, our objective is over here. That is the singular difference of New Testament Christianity. Even though we go through these, all of these series and these cycles down here, we're going through it. It's got an objective. This part here is the means. Religion is the means. Kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of God, is the ends. What has happened to us in, the, in, the, in Christianity is Christianity, going to a church and sitting there, listen to somebody condemn you or make you feel unworthy or judge you or get over into the realm where you are the, one of the big guys and the, the hot shots and then out of the self-righteousness now, you get to call all the shots. It, it's not that way. It was never intended to be that way. And so when we are going through it individually, we are careful with ourselves, but most of us, we made it through the unworthiness part or else we wouldn't be here anymore. Maybe you're still here. You, you know, it's maybe new to victory, new to church. <laughs> but the pressure of this unworthiness and guilt and all of that stuff is, is if you don't remember it, it was intense. And so, and it's very, very hard to get through. But this is the reason that the kingdom of God is developed as a, a discipleship. Right, not going and making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's not the instruction. We are to make disciples of ourselves. Certainly, it's going to be on you to make sure you're following Jesus. But this process of, of human interaction and support and caring and loving gets a person to get all the way through this. And if you've made it across the line, then you're able to, 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 to uh, encourage that person to keep going along this journey. Don't fall off in these two major areas, which the pressure is on everybody to fall off on that. And so a lot of the times we're, you know, because we don't, work, we don't yet work as a well-oiled machine in the kingdom of God, where the evangelist who is getting the person to come to church doesn't quickly pass over to the pastor who is the main person who does this section down here, loving the person in spite of the fact that they're a mess or get them to the teacher where they can come through and learn that stuff, or maybe submit to a prophetic person who's going to help them with encouragement, edification, comfort, all of those type of things. The apostolic person who's creating an environment where everybody can feel accepted, everybody can feel like the call of God is valuable upon their life, and everybody can feel as though they can grow and make it. All of those things about the way the kingdom of God is supposed to be working on the earth. Once we get a mature expression of that, which includes you, it includes every single person that God is bringing through this, <clears throat> this process will begin to work almost like a machine in somebody's life. They'll be able to come in here, complete mess, and feel, and you hear that all the time. If you have talk with a visitor here, they say, wow, I've never been in a place that I feel so loved. What are they saying? I'm feeling all of this condemnation and unworthiness and all that, but in spite of all that, people are loving me and caring about me. 
right? What does that do? That helps them. Maybe helped you. Maybe helps me, right? When I come through that and I realize, wow, this is a place where I can be real, you know? And I go to, my, I go to a doctor's office and they have to check your, your comely parts. Let me put it to that way. Thank you, Lord. Right? I, you know, I'm not being judged, right? It's just a doctor. And so they're checking my, my things, right? You know, the same thing has to happen in the church. We have to be okay with the fact that we are all in process. And when we all celebrate, myself included, that we are on this process here with individual revelations, you know, I'm looking for a particular one I'm going after right now, uh, you know, and so I'm on this curve and I'm pushing myself and pushing myself and pushing myself, right? It doesn't make me any different than you. It doesn't create this difference, you know, Ian's the perfect person who never makes any mistakes and looks just like Jesus, and then there's all of you. It doesn't go like that. The kingdom was never supposed to be like that, right? That's why when you read the New Testament and you laugh, who do you laugh at the most, Peter? The guy who was given the first charge over the church, right? In all of his mistakes and all of his misery and all the things that he did, right? So that Jesus never had a, that. We're all people who are supposed to be being discipled and discipling, right? That's our whole job all the time so that more and more people come through that curve, okay? So breakthrough principles then. Let's take a look at the scripture when it comes to how do we go backwards up this chart? Now, remember that it's, well, let's not go there yet. Uh, where will I go? Let's just get rid of this part here. Can somebody do that for me? Would you mind rubbing that off? Um, stuff you don't like, so <clears throat> everything can go. Everything can go. Okay, so let, turn with me over to, to uh, Acts chapter 26 for a moment. If you bring your Bibles with you, which you should bring. Um, and so we read this one already, that the purpose of the New Testament was that we would go through the process of getting, re removing the deceptions that we have in our lives and coming into the place where our eyes are opened. We turn from the kingdom of darkness to light, from the power of Satan. Now that word there is influence, demonazeoi or something like that, which just talks about the fact that we are being influenced by the kingdom of darkness. It doesn't necessarily mean that we are the madman of Gadara or that we are bound. Although, let me tell you that it is highly likely with where the Lord is taking us that we will have people who are in that place. We want to minister to people who are in that place. Especially with, you know, traveling and doing the things that we're planning on doing and getting more and more of you over to Africa or into the far reaches of the world you find that there's a lot of people who have been so steeped, not because they're bad people, but because the creature kept proving to them that he was their valuable resource. Remember those three that are up in the corner there? I, I need the creature. I believe in the creature. I am afraid of the kingdom of darkness, and I'm mad at God. When I do those things, people in the world have seen power and authority coming from the use of spiritual power that is negative. And just they keep giving themselves into that power until such time as they've lost themselves. Their identity is that I'm a warlock. Their identity is that I'm a witch. The identity is I'm a witch doctor. All of these type of things that, and believe me, materialism is just as bad. Believing in our economy or these type of things. We believe in God. 
We believe in his ways. And I'm blessed that our economy is working right, but I don't believe in our economy. I don't believe in these type of things. They're, I don't bow down and worship them. And so that's, we have to be careful of ourselves that we make sure that my security, my safety isn't coming from a well-running economy, particularly, don't get me started, particularly a debt-based economy because it's just, that's, there's nothing to it. There has to be that place where we are, deliver, we are possessive in, in our own selves that God is with me and that our economy could completely fall apart and float right out onto, into the ocean and I'm still gonna be fine because my security, my safety, my provision comes from the kingdom of God, not because I'm a North American or because I am a uh, you know, participant in our awesome economy. And then imagine now, Sorry, I'm off on a tangent. Let me just flow with this. Imagine now when I go to Africa, I shouldn't say that, when you go to a country on the continent of Africa, a lot of them want to come here as if there is something special about being here. There isn't anything special about being here except the kingdom of God has been, has, is the design of our world. It's, we're losing all of that if we're not careful, but the reason everything works here is because the principles of do unto others as you would have them do unto you, not do unto others before they get to do it unto you, right? Our system is built upon these principles. We call them self-evident. They are not self-evident. We just believe them to be self-evident. Go to another place on the earth and other places of the earth, they believe do unto others before they do it unto you. And so that's what they think is the way the world works. Because those principles are, are different, their economics don't work. No matter how hard we try to export our principles to them, our structures to them, because the underpinnings of their world, their belief system is a negative belief system, no matter what we give them, it's not going to work. Unless what we give them is the kingdom of God. And then the economy in Uganda or in India or in the, the most desperate and poorest place on the planet, that place will come up in the, into the prosperity that God intended for them to have, not because our principle or our economic or banking system is exported there, but because the ways of the kingdom are given to them. And they possess those on the inside. Once they possess them on the inside, they flow into their outsides. It is the only answer. That's why each one of us are, are committed to seeing this concept and the ways of the kingdom of God fill the whole earth. And each one of us now understanding more and more how that would work. So let's take a look then. Go to Matthew chapter 12. And here we talk about, there's a number of times now, I mentioned to you before, this same scripture that I'm about to read to you is in Matthew chapter 12, which is right before Matthew chapter 13. Make a note of that. It's also in Mark chapter 3, which is also right before Mark chapter 4. You should take a note of that also. And so it is very interesting that when God is revealing this very specific thing that we are about to read, that he's doing so right before he teaches what I'm about to teach you, if I can just get over with this stuff here, all right? And that's going to be important to you because it is, it is linear, okay? It is important that we get born again from not understanding it as we understand it religiously, but understanding it the way Jesus talked about it as a principle of the New Testament where you have to, you can't just add a truth to a deception and expect the truth to work, right? I can't believe that I can work my way into heaven 
That's how I believed all of my life you know, in a pagan way of thinking. If I sacrifice enough virgins and if I do enough good things, that'll make up for the bad things that I do. And then when the great scales of heaven are balanced, I'll end up getting in rather than going, rather going up rather than going down. That's the way pagans even believe about their existence. But I can't hold on to believing about that and believe that getting to heaven has nothing to do with my good works. That's what a lot of people try to do. Instead, what we have to do is we have to remove that concept of how, what is, what's God's relationship to man, that it's not a relationship based on whether you're good enough or bad enough. It's not a bell curve. It's not how I compare to you or how I compare to others in my generation or people 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago or 10,000 years from now. It's got nothing to do with that. And in order to have a right perspective, I've got to go back to the beginning again, get rid of my wrong thinking and start building my right thinking so that now my relationship to God doesn't have anything to do with my doing. Or his relationship with me does not have anything to do with my doings for him. Instead, my doings for him are a result of my relationship with him. He loves me. I love him, right? Uh, Tina loves me. I love Tina. I don't do good things for Tina because I like her or love her. I mean, because of what she does for me, I do good things for her because I love her and I like her and we spend our lives together. It's the other way around. But if we don't change that, go back to the beginning, get born again, start over again and come back down, which is what we're talking about here, then we have this convoluted soul that is completely conflicted about everything. Yeah. And I'm telling you, your soul does not do conflicting ideas. When it's your soul gets a conflicting idea, it goes with the, with the idea that it had first, and it throws out the other one, okay? That's why we oftentimes don't have a lot of progress in the kingdom of God, because we're, we're not going back to the beginning and starting over. We don't remove the, the one that we declare that this is wrong. I don't believe that anymore. And anybody who's trying to get me to believe that, psst, out. And then I start from that place fresh and come down again with my new understanding, building that revelation of the new way, the, re, the truth, so that now I think about things according to the truth only. Then the kingdom of darkness comes, tries to convince me after that that they're right. Now I have that conflict. Which one do I throw out now? I throw out the concept that's been sneaking in from the kingdom of darkness because my soul will not allow a conflict in what it believes, okay? Okay, uh, what did I say? Matthew chapter 12. So here we are in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is uh, interacting with, with, you know, the Pharisees. Anyways, now, now when the Pharisees heard that it was said, this fellow doth cast out demons except, does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. I just heard Lizzie in the background there. How, how then will his... I didn't realize we have a substitute Lizzie here today. I thought I was going to go as long as I wanted. And if, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, who do your sons cast them out? Therefore, you, be, you shall be your own judges. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come unto you. And that kind of is a one complete thought. Did you all see that? He's talking about two kingdoms being divided against himself. 
But then in both times he refers to this in Luke chapter uh, 7, in, no, excuse me, in Mark chapter 3 and Romans chapter uh, 12, uh, Matthew chapter 12, he adds a little extra tidbit, which if you think about it, has nothing to do with what he's talking about. Listen to what he says. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will be able to plunder his house? What in the world does that have to do with two kingdoms divided against each other not being able to stand? Let me tell you something. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching us this principle right here. That in order, this is what happens on the inside of a soul. This is maybe the part that may be a little scary for you. But inside of the soul of a human being, if a lie comes in there, The treasure of a human being's life is what they believe. Because what they believe produces everything else. When the kingdom of darkness is successful in getting a lie into our hearts, even just a seed, that lie comes with a guardian. In the Bible, it calls him a strong man. What this strong man is going to do is he's going to build a fortress around that lie that is called a stronghold. Now, these images are important images to understand what we go through as human beings when we're trying to uproot one of our lies. That when we are dealing with a particular lie, we have to then bind the strong man who is this ugly little, this little minion that is charged with guarding the lie. Now, don't get confused here by all the movies that you shouldn't have watched. This does not mean that a devil, that you, like, that you, whatever, have a devil living on the inside of you. That's not how this works. How this works is that once you begin to believe a lie, just the suggestion has been adopted. Remember we talked about the process before, the temptation comes, the suggestion comes, they're trying you out, is what the word means, to see whether you'll bite on this. If you bite on that thing, then all of a sudden the, they, the kingdom of darkness goes, mm, found a button, we found a hook. And then that this strongman guy starts to hang around and every time a situation comes he helps you to understand that situation through his lie because he already has picked up that you have a propensity to believe him then this stronghold the fortress is what the word is actually this fortress is made out of all kinds of little bricks those bricks are experiences, woundings, trauma, difficulties, hardships, humiliations, embarrassments, all of these type of things that begin to form a, 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 an impenetrable barrier around the concept that is a deception, proving to you more and more and more that the lie is actually the truth. Remember we talked about that before, when it comes down that process until it becomes uh, uh, an, an unquestionable truth, that there's no longer any doubt in your mind that nobody loves you? 
that isn't just built by a suggestion one day. It's a suggestion surrounded by experiences and trauma and difficulties and negative experiences and emotional things and trauma and, and humiliations and all of these type of things that in the midst of that situation, the devil is there to reinforce his lie in your life. Your soul doesn't forget anything. Particularly, it doesn't forget very emotional events, positive or negative. Addictions being created by positive experiences, woundings being created by negative experiences. So Jesus is telling us, if we want to get rid of this whole thing, what we need to do is we need to bind the strong man. Once we bind the strong man, we tear down his fortress we take the lie and we throw it in the garbage. Understand now? Why is it, how does this apply to us? When somebody comes and tells you, you know, Jessica, your problem is you're prideful. How does that work? Anybody tried that one? You see, when somebody says that, the person believe. No, I'm not. How many of you say, you know, no, I'm not. You're covetous. No, I'm not. You love money. No, I don't right? We, are, we automatically reject the concept, or we would like to give it to, no, actually, we mean joy, right? You want to, we want to give it to somebody else, right? Rather than, remember we talked about that, where we realize, no, this is me that needs to be dealt with. This mechanism right here, until we are ready, ready, until we are ready to admit and own up to the fact that, yes, this is my problem, Yes, I have this issue, right? Maybe if you've done, uh, you know, the Momentum Center work with Jenny or Joy or some of the people that work back there, when they are helping you to figure out what's the lie. Sometimes, you know, a Rhema session takes about 20 minutes. Finding the lie can take four hours. Why is that? Because we can't find it? No, typically we can easily find it. The problem is we need you to see it. Because we're going to say, okay, pray through this. And you're going, I got nothing to pray through. It's not, it's, it's not a lie. People do hate me, right? Until, you are, until a person is ready to admit it themselves. The problem is, I believe nobody loves me. And because I believe nobody loves me, I think they're going to reject me. I don't want to be hurt by them rejecting me. So I'm going to reject them first. When I reject them first, then they leave. And then I'm, I prove it right. Yep, see, told you, they reject me. That's how everybody thinks. Everybody thinks through the process backwards. And so it's, you're looking at the result, not the cause. And so when we start looking at the, at the result, then for sure, nobody loves you. That's true. You're being a knucklehead. But you're not being a knucklehead because you don't want people to love you. You're being a knucklehead because you already believe they're going to reject you. And so you reject them first. Does it make sense to anybody? That whole activity, it's not you. It's this guy. Sad face. Angry face. Jesus said, if you want to get rid of the activity of the kingdom of darkness, the very first thing that you need to do is identify the strong man, tie him up. How do you tie up a strong man? All you have to do when you're tying up a strong man is renounce the lie. Even if you still believe it, don't worry about it. We are going to go in and deal with it when we have the truth. 
The problem is, is that when the truth is presented to us and we believe a lie, we want to reject the truth. Now, you're not gonna do that in here, you'll smile in here, but the real reality is, is that those two conflicting ideas will be there and I'll eventually throw out the truth and go back to the lie. Unless I have first taken care of it by saying, I don't believe the lie anymore. What's the key to that? We'll talk about the key, hopefully the next time I'm preaching, but the key to it is the fear of the Lord. The beginning process is I know, even if I don't believe that the world is an abundant world, I believe it's a lack-filled world, I know I'm wrong because the Bible says it's an abundant world. And I'm able to declare, this guy, I reject you, even though, I, even though my, my programming still agrees with you, I'm able to, at the start, reject it because the Bible says the opposite. Now I have to go through, once I tie this guy up, steal his lie, get it, get it out, go back, get the truth, put the truth back into my heart. Once that whole process is done, then, nice part, is you still get a strong man, by the way. And that guy has wings, and he's smiling and has a halo. He also is going to build a fortress around the truth. That's called the shield of faith. When you have the shield, this fortress that is around you, now the kingdom of darkness tries to attack and they can't get through. Unless you're, you know, brilliant enough to do exactly the same process and say, okay, forget about this, all this good stuff. I am so tired of being blessed. What I really want to do is experience what the rest of the people and I want to get sick. So, how many of you, do I have to worry about that anywhere here? Do we need to go over there? No. Nobody needs to worry about that. We've got this safe zone now where no matter what comes at you, when Jesus was going to the cross, he wasn't struggling with all of the hatred and all of the misery that was trying to get to him. He was busy praying for the people who God was about to split in half and turn into little greasy spots on the floor. And so he says, Father, this, I love these people. Father, listen, he was doing business on our behalf or on their behalf saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is okay. I know what I'm doing for the joy set before me. I'm enduring all of this. Don't, 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 don't. That's what Jesus was doing. Why? Because his fortress was impenetrable to all the negativity that he was going through. Or he would have sinned even if he just hated them in his heart. Now he's done. And so Jesus was giving us the example of what this looks like once I have gone through this metanoeo, this changing of your mind from one thing to the other. Is that helping you? Okay, did I, did I? So, uh, in Matthew chapter 12. Um, where am I here? No, John chapter 16, sorry. Where did he say... Oh, here it is. And therefore, Jesus speaking in verse 27, if I, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, who do your sons do it by? Therefore, they shall be judged. But if I cast out devils, how? By the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord, John chapter 16, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, His job on this earth is to guide us into the truth. The Bible says about him in John chapter 14 that he is our helper. That word helper is paraclete. Excuse me, parakletos. 
The word parakletos is the word for a lawyer or an advocate or somebody who is going to come alongside you and help you with legal matters. And so the main work of the, of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not that we pray in tongues, although it's really cool to pray in tongues, and you should. The real assignment of the, the Spirit of God in our lives is to bring us into the truth, to help us with this singular process. And so what Jesus is saying is that when, the, that, that when he was bringing people through this deliverance process, he was bringing them through it with the revelation of the truth in their life. Remember he said, your faith has made you whole? Your faith, that process, which we're about to talk about, but remember that it, they believed something different now. And so because they believed something different, that believing something different produced the miracle in their lives. Believing something different is the work of the kingdom of the Spirit of God as he identifies for us where the lie is and shows us the truth and then empowers us to make that legal transaction from the, from the, from the lie, believing the lie, to believing the truth. As he releases the grace for a human being to do something that human beings were never designed to do and that was to change what they believe. We were always supposed to just hear God's voice in the garden and never hear anybody else's voice and then never change from that. Okay, let me close here. Am I done? Is that, was that the piano part? Was that the clue I was getting from the piano part? Um, John, 1 John chapter 1, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 says, Greater is he that lives in you than he that's in the world. Who lives in you? Careful. Right? Where does Jesus live? Does anybody know where Jesus lives? Jesus lives in heaven. I know that they taught you in Sunday school that Jesus lives in your heart, but he does not. I hate to tell you, he lives in heaven at the right hand of God. Who does live in your heart? Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit. Okay? So the greater is he who is on the inside of you is the Holy Ghost. And so we recognize the ministry of the Holy Spirit is greater than anything else that is going on from the kingdom of darkness. We never have to be afraid of anything because he is going to guide us into the truth. Once I possess the truth, it's just flicking the kingdom of darkness out of my life. Can I go there? Well, can I give you one more? Go, go with me over to, I don't want to leave you with any heavies because I did that on Sunday and I couldn't sleep. So go to Luke chapter 11. And verse 20, Jesus is saying exactly the same story that he was just telling us in the, the two kingdoms divided. And it says instead, where they said, by the, first he says, when he, by the Spirit of God, casts out demons. In Luke chapter 11, it says, if I cast out demons with the finger of God. That is a, is a, a euphemism that refers to the energy that needs to be expelled by a deity in order to accomplish something. They call it the efficacy of God. How effective or how much energy or how efficient he is at doing something. Here's the reference. Okay? And so recognizing that if you have fear that fear is a deception that is created intentionally. Number two, remember, be afraid of the kingdom of darkness. Be afraid of all that they can do to you. 
okay? We recognize as we step into this understanding, this is not a battle. Many of you might have had experiences before where the, where the battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light is a terribly difficult battle of deliverance where somebody's reaching down somebody's throat and pulling out these things. It's not like that. I'm not saying it doesn't get to that. If you go to see an evangelist, sometimes the work of an evangelist is a little bit aggressive like that, and I'm totally cool with it. But that's not typically the, the work. Typically the work is, if I show you the ice cream and the broccoli, how tough is this? If I show you faith and fear, how hard is it? Hope and dread, how hard is this? Love and hate, how hard is this? It only is the matter of that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. It's just a matter of can you see the two? And then once the business part of it comes, it's just like buying a house. You buy a house with a signature. It's a legal process as it's transferred ownership from one person to another person. You buy a car, it's just the transfer of ownership. It's just a signature, it's just, okay? And so we need to be dealing with that on the inside of us. We're going, why, why I believe the Lord is having me, I would rather not teach this stuff. But the Lord is having us talk about this stuff so that if there are things where one, I'm celebrating self, we talked about that in the summertime when it dealt with water baptism and Let's make sure that my confidence is in God and not in me. The second part of it is let's make sure that we are not afraid of the kingdom of darkness. Let's make sure that if, if there is a little that you deal with it. Say, I'm just not, I have the spirit of the Lord on the inside of me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm no longer going to be walking around with a spirit of fear when on the inside of me is power and love soundness, wholeness, completeness. So hold your hands up in the air and say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I know I have nothing to be afraid of. I know that all authority, all power in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. He, the King. I am not afraid. I am Jesus's. I belong in the kingdom of God. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I declare today, I am not afraid. I love God. He loves me. There's nothing for me to be afraid of. In Jesus' name.